Welcome to the We Invested Podcast, where we teach you how to save and make more cash. I'm your host, Wesley Earp, and this is Season 3, Episode 23. And on this episode, we sit down with Jared Spiewak, the founder and CEO of Blue Dog Media. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's do it. Today on the We Invested Podcast, we have with us Jared Spiewak. And he is the founder and lead strategist of Blue Dog Media. Jerry, what's going on, man? How you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for having me on. How about yourself? I'm doing good, man. Thank you for joining us. So let's jump right into it, man. What exactly is Blue Dog Media and how did you get your start? Yeah, for sure. So Blue Dog Media, we're a boutique marketing agency that uh, historically predominantly has worked with service-based businesses. And over time, we've also started working with e-com and SaaS companies. In terms of uh, boutique, what that simply means is we have a fairly small team, small in terms of the business world within our industry. I would say it's a medium-sized team, you know, roughly 10 people in total. And uh, we also work with a very limited number of select clients. So we focus uh, very heavily on the uh, the types of clients that we're working with and the skill set that we have rather than, uh, you know, some of the other companies that will just take on, you know, 10,000 different clients at once and have a bunch of different employees. The marketing uh, abilities that we focus on are primarily uh, Google Ads, PPC, and SEO, search engine optimization, with our kind of tertiary skill as we're learning more and more about it being Facebook ads. Um, but predominantly, we are on the SEM and the SEO side of things. For sure, man. So Blue Dog Media, that's an interesting name, man. How did you come up with that name? <laughs> yeah, so essentially what happened was uh, at the time when I started the company, I was, <clears throat> excuse me, I was working for a another agency. And as I was leaving, I was trying to figure out what the next step for me was. And I decided, okay, great, I'm gonna start my own agency and I need to come up with a name. But I also tend to be a perfectionist when it comes to this stuff. So I just needed to choose whatever sounded decent at the start. Otherwise I was gonna spend months trying to figure it out. And so at the time I thought I was going to specifically focus on working with contractors just because I had a decent number of contractor clients. And so I was like, okay, great. Uh, it's a blue collar work industry. Okay, blue color, there we go. And I was like, okay, well, uh, there's a, it's very common within the agency space for there to be this like color and animal type uh, hybrid in terms of the name. So I was like, okay, you know, what do I think of when I think of like this blue collar worker? I think of this like this dude with his like uh, pickup truck with his like dog that's like basically his best friend. So like, that's just like what came to mind right away. And uh, locally, there's a couple of contracting companies that also like have like there's like a bulldog contracting company etc etc so i was like okay well blue dog and i was like well blue dog marketing i didn't really like especially because marketing when you use it in your email address gets blocked by a lot of uh, bots automatically so it'd be hard to contact people especially contacting them cold media is a very common term and i kind of like the blue dog media feel now the downside is that there's about four other Blue Dog Medias out there in the world. So in, we're in the process of rebranding to Comet Fuel. Now, the way that I chose that name, again, being a perfectionist, is I went online and I just looked for domains for sale and I just bought a name that I liked already because again it, I didn't have to come up with anything I was just like I kind of like this name I'll pay whatever they're gonna charge me to buy it just to make it simple. For sure, bro. That's look. That's a great backstory to it, and I think it's a dope name. Both names that you came up with are pretty cool, bro. 
so some common terms associated with marketing include ROI and SEO. So could you kind of explain what that what exactly those terms mean? Yeah, for sure. So ROI stands for return on investment. The other very common word around that you'll hear, especially if you're doing advertising, is ROAS, which is return on ad spend. Um, uh, both words are kind of similar. ROAS itself is just simply the revenue that you made minus what you spent to achieve that revenue. So if you made $10,000, you spent $1,000, you would have a 10x ROAS or 10 to 1. With ROI, you factor in your actual profit. Depending on the calculation that you're looking at, you would either look at your gross profit, which is what you made minus the cost to make those, or you look at your net profit, which is everything before taxes. Um, so ROI is simply how much you put into your marketing versus how much you got out. It is probably the most common buzzword you'll hear with marketing. Everyone's going after a high ROI. There are pros and cons to that. Uh, uh, it's not everything. There's a lot more to your marketing than just ROI, but it's the most common term you'll hear. And typically one of the most common metrics you'll be looking at in terms of marketing is your ROI, which is just simply, again, what you put in what you versus what you get out of that. When it comes to SEO, that stands for search engine optimization, uh, which, uh, you know, as you alluded to, is a very common phrase that you hear, which is uh, in a very uh, layman terms is the process of increasing your organic visibility on search engines. So outside of paid ads so if you were to search for something on google um let's say uh roofer near me what you'll likely see nowadays is you'll see what's called the lsas or the local search ads at the very top below that you'll see the normal text ads then below that you'll typically see the google Maps section within google maps you can see ads sometimes soon too is depending on how the ads are set up but outside of the ads on the maps that is the map pack for seo you where you can rank a business there which is based on geography and then below that you get your typical organic results which are not ads those are people who have or businesses who have uh, ranked their website there so seo is the process of improving the visibility for various terms surrounding the business that are relevant to that business for sure, bro. So what attracted you to marketing? Is this something you've always been interested in or, or is it something that you kind of realize, okay, this is important and every business needs marketing. So I, I need to just learn everything about it. So I kind of got into it by accident in a way uh, where I, I've always had an interest in business. Uh, when I was in elementary school, one of the things that I like to do um, that kind of is, I was, I've been always a big fan of horror movies. And I was allowed to watch movies that a lot of kids my age weren't able to see. So like I had seen like uh, Child's Play, uh, Cube, which is still one of my favorite movies, uh, the first one at least, great. Um, and uh, a lot of other um, mostly like 80s, 90s, like horror movies that like my dad was watching that he just like didn't care if I was watching too. Um, so there were a lot of movies that I, I really liked. So what I did was at school when we had time to like use the computers there like the like the really old like apple II computers just like the school eve shouldn't really have even had those at that time they were just so old uh, but what i would go on there and i would type up uh stories just basically basing off the plot of the movie that i just saw and put in the setting would always be like the school and uh friends would be like the characters with just their names like no real description It'd be like a one-page story like going through the, like basically everything i can remember the movie very quickly 
quickly. But I would then print those out and then sell a copy for like a dollar uh, because everyone wanted to see like, oh, how did I die? Or like, you know, what's going on here? So that kind of got me um, kind of started in business, if you will. I've always had an interest in business. I knew I wanted to do something with business. I just didn't know what until I was in high school. And I ended up graduating high school. Uh, I started college at 15, graduated high school in 16. That kind of screwed me, which is why there's a year discrepancy there. Um, and so I had to figure out how to make money on my own. And I basically went online. I Google how to make money online. Not the most reliable search you can do, but I started writing content online like for like under a penny a word. It's basically, uh, you would go on there if you wanted someone whose English is not their first language to write you really cheap content. But because I was able to write good English, I got a decent amount of work going on there. And at the time, this is like 2012, everyone wanted SEO content, which I had no idea what that was. It was just, hey, use these keywords, just stuff these keywords in here as many times as possible. Because basically you use this term a bunch of times in your article, go rank for it back then. And so what happened was I ended up looking into this a little bit. I was like, okay, what is this SEO thing? And so I dove a little bit more into like the world of marketing. Uh, at that point in time, I basically figured, I would basically decide, okay, great. I'm gonna go to college for marketing. I'll get my degree in marketing. I ended up getting a corporate marketing job when I was 17, which kind of set me in the world of marketing hated that corporate job and then I was like okay great let me go back online see if I can do this I tried development a little bit I got into information technology I was trying to play around with a lot of different fields that I still use some of those skill sets but um, SEO really kind of attracted my attention quite a bit back then and I eventually left that got offered a full-time job at a marketing agency making double what I was at that corporate job and so at that point in time it kind of settled me into this kind of route because I had a job that was paying me very well considering like my age and my living status and so on and so forth um, and so kind of my life became absorbed by it at that point man you hold on man you said you graduated high school at what age uh, so I started college at 15, graduated uh, high school at 16. Man, that's crazy. So you're a genius. <laughs> uh, funny enough, I was actually a CD student. So what I did was uh, I had a, uh, a good friend of mine at the time. Her sister graduated uh, about a year early because she was like the standard like straight A student, like kind of like the like the overachiever person, like I'll take on as much as possible. And the way that she did that was through um, an online school where basically you could go on and like take extra classes if you're a straight A student, but you could also take these classes if let's say you failed a class and you didn't want to go to summer school. So what I asked was that like, do I have to be in one of these two camps to take these classes? Like, do I have to fail or do I have to, you know, be like a straight A student? And no, you could just take these extra classes and get an extra credit or two. So what I was doing was I was basically getting CDs, which means you, I was still passing because I just didn't care about school. Like I, I can't, I have ADHD. I can't read really. Like I can't focus on a textbook. I never looked at textbooks. I basically, the only reason I passed classes is because I did okay at testing because I had like a general knowledge of stuff. Never really read textbooks, but what I did do was I went online. I went on to this virtual school. I would take classes. So I was taking classes in school and I was taking about double the amount of classes, so the same amount of classes online. And so I was doing things twice as fast while still being like a CD student. So I got all the credits to graduate. And funny enough, right after I graduated, they changed their policy where you can no longer do that. And they max you out of like two classes per like year or something on that platform. And I'm not claiming it's because of me that they changed that policy, but it is a big coincidence. For sure, bro. That's dope, man. <laughs> so, so what are some of the biggest mistakes that service businesses make with their marketing? Yeah, so the... 
biggest mistake that I see, regardless of the size of the business, specifically within the service space, is the lack of using data and tracking within the business. The reason being is that uh, unlike e-commerce and SaaS, if you're in an e-commerce or SaaS business, the transaction happens online. I go to Amazon.com, I buy a product, Amazon can see that they have they have that money or that money is in transit from my bank to their bank, so on and so forth. Lead generation works differently. With a lead gen business or a service-based business, I go to the website, I fill out their form, I call them, I have a discussion with a salesperson and you know something happens. So you know sometimes there's like an inspection process, you're working with a contractor, there's like a consultation process, you're working with let's say an accountant or a lawyer, so on and so forth. So the transaction itself doesn't happen online. Because of that, what often happens is a lot of that tracking you still can do, but it's a lot more complicated because it's not built in. Anyone that basically has a business or a website knows about like Google Analytics. You, in order to track your sales in Google Analytics, for most platforms you're using like WordPress, Shopify, et cetera, flick a switch, you're good to go. That's it. Service-based businesses, you need more software. You need, depending on your situation, you might need a developer to build a small API connection from your CRM, from your website, so on and so forth. So because of that, it's not overly expensive, but it's often forgotten, forgotten about where often you have a feeling of where my leads are coming from of, you know, is this marketing channel working real well, but you don't know where you can set up the tracking. So, you know, I got this many people on my website, but also this many people called me. This is how they found me when they called me. You can set up call tracking where it says they found me through this out or they found me through Facebook or whatever it may be through what's called dynamic number insertion. You can then use your CRM or your customer database where you indicate, okay, this is a qualified lead. This person turned into a customer, et cetera, which has that information imported. And so at the end of the day, then you can do what all these e-com companies and these SaaS companies can do is you can look back and say, I got these 10 new customers or clients. This is how they found me online. I can track the new customer back to the click that I got online. I see companies that make, you know, a couple hundred thousand a year to tens of millions a year that don't have this set up. And because of that, they don't truly know how their marketing is is working or where their customers are actually coming from. They might have a feeling, but they don't know for sure. For sure, bro. And when you say SaaS, is that a software as a service? Yes, correct. Okay, for sure, for sure. So, so what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see service businesses making at their Google Ads account? Mm. And, and if you and if you also wouldn't mind explaining what a Google Ads account is. Sure. So Google Ads is the ad platform for Google. Most businesses who run ads on Google will use what's called the search network. And the search network is what you typically see. If you just Google, do a Google search, you're on Google search, the ads that you see, it'll show up right at the top. It'll say ad on the left-hand side. They make it really small that it says ad on purpose, but you'll see those ads there. Um, or sometimes it'll be the first result in an ad uh, in the map pack. It'll be the first one. Sometimes it'll say ad there. Or sometimes if you're doing like an e-commerce uh, search, you'll see shopping ads, which will appear as a bunch of products at the top of the page. And so essentially what these are, they're called PPC or pay-per-click ads, meaning the business puts their ads on there. And when you click on it, that's when the business gets charged get charged for that click. 
There are additional networks on Google uh, ads that you can use. So YouTube, Google owns YouTube. Uh, if you run video ads on the Google ads network, it, that's how YouTube ads run. You can set up what's called the GDN or the Google display network. That's when your ads are run through Google AdSense. So uh, publishers can add what's called AdSense to, to their website, which allows ads to show on their own website. And then uh, advertisers, if they use the GDN network are able to then create uh, image or video ads and put them on other people's websites through the Google AdSense network. Those are the three main ones. There's also the Google Shopping ads, which can appear on search search or the Google Shopping campaign. There's also Discovery ads, which if you go onto Google Discovery on your phone, ads can now appear there as well. But most people are running Google search ads. Um, now, when it comes to the mistakes service businesses are making predominantly with Google search, is tied back to tracking again and this is because now you're not just uh you know you're not just worried about like referrals or how people are finding you organically now you're actively spending money on a channel but still you're not tracking what you're getting from that uh, let me give you a couple examples uh, a very basic example and one that a lot of people in the service space don't do is track phone calls so within their ad account they might track when a form is filled and you can track this through a variety of reasons. You can track when a form is correctly submitted or if you redirect after the form is completed and you go to what's called a thank you page, you can just track when somebody lands on that page. But you can also track if uh, person A and person B land on your website at the same time and they one person calls you and the other person doesn't, you can distinguish what person called you. Not their personal information, but you can distinguish that back to the click through something like CallRail, which is what we use internally, and through dynamic number insertion. Now for service-based businesses, most of the time you're getting most of your leads through phone calls. And because of that, uh, if you're not tracking that within your account, a lot of these businesses, uh, 90 to 95% of their conversions are completely untracked, meaning that they might be spending thousands to tens of thousands or even sometimes hundreds of thousands a month and not actually knowing what they're getting from that. And because of that, you're not able to properly optimize the campaign to say, these are the most profitable services that we're running ads on, or these are the most profitable, uh, if it's multi-state, these are the most profitable states or most profitable uh, cities within those states or zip codes or demographics where uh, we noticed that uh, males convert at 8%, but females convert at 12.5%. So maybe we want to uh, spend more money when a female is searching versus when a male is searching or whatever it may be. You can't do a lot of those customizations that actually make a lot of these ad platforms incredibly profitable if you're not tracking that. So that's probably the number one thing that I notice. And whenever I'm in any sort of ad account, the first place I always go is right up to the top and I look at conversions. And if I'm talking to somebody about their ad account, I'll spend half my time basically um, uh, disciplining them, if you will, about why they're how big of an issue it is for them to not be tracking conversions. For sure. So, so if I understand this correctly, your business helps your clients become more noticeable, easy, easier, seen easier, and more profitable. Correct. So the end result of what we're doing is we're, our goal is to take what uh, people pay us and to multiply that. Uh, so if someone gives us a dollar, our goal is to give them, depending on the type of business, two to $10 back. You know, sometimes if we get lucky enough, it can be more than that. But that's ultimately what we get judged on. That determines how long we retain our clients is basically how much money do we give them versus how much money did they give us. 
For sure, for sure. So when you started Blue Dog Media, like what made this business venture different than your other ones? Like how did you know, okay, I'm in the right space. This is where I want to be. This is what I want to do long term. So prior to having this company, I had tried a a couple of other things. The only one that I really tried seriously was a different type of agency, which was a web design agency, which uh, I'm still a big fan of programming. I enjoy it uh, as a hobby, uh, but I very quickly discovered that it is not something I enjoy getting paid for because then you come with all the restrictions of it has to be done to the specification with this sort of timeline, with this sort of budget, so on and so forth. So I just didn't have an interest in that. But it was a a very natural progression, if you will, for me to be in this line of work, uh, because as I was uh, writing content online, I learned about this SEO stuff, which eventually evolved into me. Uh, so what I did, the way that I got that uh, agency job where I was offered double what I was making uh, at the corporate job was that I had found a website called Upwork, which most people are familiar with nowadays, a couple of years ago, not so much, but I started working on that platform for about $5 an hour. And so I worked on that platform, just looking to gain experience, uh, just cause I wanted, I did a little bit of everything at that point in time. I was doing a little bit of social media management, a little bit of ad stuff, a little bit of like graphic design work, a little bit of web design, a little bit of SEO, so on and so forth. And eventually I got that job from that agency, which really kind of cemented me in like, hey, SEO is this thing that, you know, I'm being paid pretty well. This is a a company that is uh, treating me well. That is uh, essentially I was there for about three, four months before they made me their lead strategist. So I was overlooking like basically the entire department. Like I had people, um, you know, under me at like 18. So it was a lot of responsibility where I just kind of, you know, I needed to absorb a lot. So I got very heavily invested in it. And over time, I continued to um, take on other work. So the company that I worked for specialized in legal marketing. So I worked with exclusively law firms at that time. And I wanted to uh, hone my skills on other things. So I started working with other types of companies on the side, doing some other side work. And eventually what happened was the stuff on the side grew more and more, where I went from full-time down to part-time, down to eventually no time. And this is about... Uh, roughly the end of 2017, I was only working a couple hours a week in the agency just to make sure that I could do what was crucially needed of me before they could find someone to replace me. And then uh, at basically December 2017, I'm pretty sure I, I, uh, I walked away from that agency and I was sitting there with a, a decent amount of freelance clients. So I had a good amount of experience freelancing, doing SEO work. And I was like, okay, great. What's the next step for me? And it just seemed like the natural progression to start an agency i wanted to kind of remove myself necessarily from you know spending eight hours a day working on websites to maybe you know a couple of hours a day doing what i need at the very high level but then working on hiring people to do that other work and work uh, working on growing the business and establishing it from there so i basically started the agency uh which was just a very natural progression from freelancing because i already had the clients i had the experience it was just a matter of changing how i was structuring things to hey, you're hiring me by myself and I'm doing all the work versus, hey, you're hiring a company that I'm heavily involved in, but I also have a team to assist me to do the work. For sure, man. And when you found out that you were able to step away from your your uh, your eight hour, nine to five job, like what was what was going through your mind? Like what emotions were you feeling when you were finally able to step away? Yeah, so there are... There are a couple things. One is that I, in some ways, I feel as though I jumped off too late, that I could have jumped off a lot sooner. And in some ways, I feel like I jumped off too early. So let me elaborate on both of those. So to the extent that I jumped off too 
uh, too late is I was doing, um, I'll, I'll say I was doing very well financially where I was probably making three to four times personally com- without the job itself. So I was doing quite well by myself. And so because of, like I had the funds for a long time to jump off and do things on my own, uh, the fear that I had was that uh, the job gave me security. With the agency, if we screw up, we lose a client, which means I'm not making as much money. With working for another company, if I screw up and they lose a client, I still get paid what I'm getting paid. Uh, kind of regardless, you know, of course, you know, business goes bankrupt, bankrupt. I can't really do much about that, but you kind of had that extra security where it wasn't um, kind of eat what you kill situation, if you will. Whereas as the agency itself, I had to, um, you know, basically if I screwed up, I would feel that financially. And so I was teetering on the fact of, you know, I've done stuff on my own for a long time, but I've never done stuff exclusively on my own. I've had good months where I've done really well. And I've also had bad months where, you know, financials weren't looking so well. So it took me uh, a really long time or I could have probably jump shipped about six months earlier where I would have been able to float myself perfectly fine financially. But it was that fear of, you know, things could go under. What do I do at that point? Um, so that's how I would say I jumped off uh, too late. But in terms of jumping off too early is uh, what I should have done before I left because I was essentially building a business. I was building a business within the same industry as that company run differently, but very uh in a general sense very very similar is i should have been a little bit slower and more observant of the other areas of the business that i wasn't involved in i should have taken a big because i had a i was on the management team and the leadership team i had the ability to you know be like hey i want to sit on on some sales calls or hey i want to look at how our project management system actually works behind the door uh you know i want to work with the people who are you know do a lot of the hiring and understand that i had the i for most of that, I would have had the ability to sit down on that, but I didn't take those opportunities. And so because of that, there are some uh, auxiliary skills that I'm just not very good at still to this day and other things that I had to learn the hard way just by failing over and over again, where if I was a little bit more strategic of it, I would have, um, you know, I would have asked to sit in on a couple more sales calls where I'd only sat in on one or two, or I would have asked to, you know, lead sales calls for a bit or work more closely with the project management team or uh, the hiring team or whatever it may be um, so that I develop those skills because you know one thing I learned the hard way especially in the service industry you start the business doing a lot of the work and then as you grow the business doing the work becomes the least important thing for you to do within that business because you have people to do that work what really matters for me what really determines the success in terms of my role right now is how good am I at cash flow management how good am I at hiring how good am i at management how good am i at uh, business development how good am i at making decisions as to what should be done now versus what can be pushed off you know how good am i at making sure we don't overextend ourselves uh financially or time wise or how do we make sure that you know uh, going to step a is going to help us get to step z faster and not going to delay us by another six months because we made a mistake um so that's where i would have been slower in that respect for sure for sure but man it sounds like you are very strategic about every move you made man and even getting here at such a young age it's like uh, it's it's clear that you were you know planning and thinking out you know every step of the way um but as far as you know having a team you talk about having a few employees um and being a, a medium-sized um, agency so what's the importance of having a good team and how did you build your team 
Yeah. So when it comes to having a, a good team, ultimately that ultimately that determines whether or not your business will survive. Um, that, that's the reality of it. Early on, maybe not so much, depending on the type of business that you have is going to depend on how important people are and how soon, you know, if you're running a, um, an e-commerce business, having a good customer support person very early on is going to be really important because people like to complain about really stupid stuff and you don't have the time to, you know, deal with those people complaining where you said it's going to take seven days shipping and they're complaining after four days. Like you just simply don't have the time. So like that's going to be very early on where for this type of business, you know, I mean, sometimes people don't hire for like years. Um, and when it comes to having you know, the right team, it, it, like I said, it's really a make or break uh, situation. It's going to either flow you or sink you, um, especially, I mean, we work in, in with an industry where um, sometimes we're managing a businesses spend that, you know, they spend sometimes millions of dollars a month on their ads. Uh, screwing that up is, uh, is not going to end well, <laughs> if you will. Right. Um, or sometimes, you know, we're, we're working with, uh, somebody who uh, works for a very large business and they're not the CEO, they're somebody else. And if they hire the wrong person, we screw up. That means they might get fired from their job because they cost that company really a lot of problems. And then the shareholders of that company aren't going to be happy about that. And they're going to have to answer to that. And the response of whoever is above them is going to be, Hey, let's fire this person. Cause it's going to help our stock price when they understand that that's why they did that. Uh, and that's not every company that we're working with, but when it comes to these sorts of situations and uh, we have to be very mindful of that. Uh, so for me, I am very uh, slow to hire and I'm very willing to pay somebody uh, way above, you know, what people would typically, uh, or, you know, what you consider, you know, industry average, if you will, because of, you know, what I get in return, you know, uh, you know, there are some who prefer the, um, let's make everything as simple as possible so that we can hire basically anyone off the street and that can be fine. But for the types of accounts we want to work with, uh, you know, we can't afford to essentially train somebody from scratch on the job that has zero experience. For some accounts, we can put someone like that on. That's great. But if we get contacted by, you know, catalogs to do an ad campaign for them, uh, you know, I can't, you know, have, you know, some random person off the street. Doing it. So I find I'm very slow to hire and I, prefer a smaller team that's highly skilled because we want to go after uh, you know those really really big accounts that we can have a couple of clients that are household name brands because we get really excited about that work where I personally get very where I'm not excited about the business model of hey let's have you know thousands of employees we'll work with just about anybody who kind of comes to us and we'll do um, you know oftentimes below average work because we're just following the same exact process and they essentially run their business like it's McDonald's. That's great if you're McDonald's because uh, you're, you know, you're trying to do things very at a very low price at a very consistent rate. Your goal is speed and consistency where um, I more so prefer, prefer a, um, you know, a much higher end approach, if you will, uh, in terms of finding the team. Unfortunately, sometimes that's a process of hire doesn't work out you know, sorry, it didn't work out, hire somebody else. You know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. That's kind of the expectation because a lot of the things that go in with that are things like culture. Not everyone's a good fit for everything. Um, I tend to take a more, uh, I tend to have a more casual personality in terms of a, term, a typical workday. Um, I would say, you know, I tend to swear quite a bit. So if somebody comes from a very corporate background, that's very like, hey, let's keep it all you know, like very, uh, uptight and suited up, that person probably isn't going to jive very well where, you know, where I'm like, 
hey who the f did that and you know that person's an f an idiot like you know we need to deal with this or you know just like how uh, just like talking how i do so that person's not going to fit in like that um so but other in other cases they will because they're even on the client side sometimes we talk with with clients that we're just not a good fit for so really finding the fit from there having the minimal skill set that we need and then we can train them up for anything that they don't know um and yeah, that I mean, honestly, hiring is probably one of the weakest skills that I have, but it tends everyone that I talk to, it's also the weakest skill that they have. So it yeah. seems to be uh, uh, hiring seems to be more um, uh, magic than science. For sure. For sure. So what would you say is your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? Um, the I think it's kind of a generic answer. Um, but the reason why I got into this is because the company that I wanted, that I worked for, I had ideas on how I wanted, on how I felt that would be in the best interest of the clients and the company and how I best felt that things should be shaped. And as not being the owner, uh, a lot of my ideas, you know, just rejected or whatever. And so ultimately I felt as though that the company that I wanted to work for didn't exist personally uh, especially as you start to grow there is really no difference in being the owner being an employee of the business in reality um, at the at the end of the day you're an employee of the business especially as you start to grow like the business becomes a separate entity to you uh, especially depending on your legal and tax structure but uh, you uh, what I have is the uh, kind of the freedom to shape things around the way that I want them. I'm still like, even if I own things, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm in charge, if you will, because I have somebody that primarily runs the PPC campaigns. What she decides to do is fully on her. She has questions. Okay, great. Let's work it out. Here's a problem. Let's try to figure it out. But day to day, you know, you make the end calls like that. That's your job. I hired you to do that. Like you're the expert in this field. Be the expert. Um, so, uh, what I more so enjoy than you know, let's say like looking down at everything, kind of you know, kind of puppeteering, if you will, is being able to at a very high level to decide the uh, the direction that we're going in that I see fit. Especially because if you're in this industry, you will quickly learn that it is um, uh, shady to say the least. Okay. Okay. So, um, who do you look up to for inspiration? Mm. So there are um, there are a couple of people that uh, that I like uh, quite a bit um, in terms of the more household names. Um, Simon Sinek, I'm a I'm a big fan of of him. Uh, he's really great in talking about leadership and uh, culture and teams and and stuff like that. Uh, another person that I like, which is um, not so much within the, the business world necessarily, but um, Stanley Kubrick, uh, looking into how he, as a director, and how he kind of um, shaped the films that he created, which are you know, basically like all of my favorite films, uh, learning more about him, like the more I learn about him, the more I respect his style and his dedication and uh, attention to detail, and how, um, you know, you hear a lot that you like, you can't be a perfectionist in life like you just have to you know uh, you know if you look at like facebook their like motto is like uh, move fast and break things or something around that lines but then you look at someone like stanley kubrick and um, you know uh, you know perfectionist is kind of a, an understatement there and his movies are all like 
you know cult classics like they're a lot of his movies are considered like the best ever and they're great so that's uh someone as well that i respect uh quite a bit um within my industry as well um there are uh, certain people who kind of uh, encouraged me to that kind of got me to take that the next leap uh one of whom is uh, a, a guy named ryan stewart he um uh he kind of had a somewhat similar background in the sense that he worked as a consultant for a very large agency much larger than i ever worked for and he started his own business he's down in miami uh but what was uh, kind of convinced me to kind of take the leap uh, from him uh, was that um I felt as though that uh, there were certain aspects of the industry that I simply didn't like, but I, I kind of uh, believe that, you know, it's just the reality of the world uh, sort of thing. And I felt as though that he was a, uh, that he kind of defied those a little bit. And so I, I think it gave me a little bit more hope for like, you know, you can uh, kind of operate how you want to and kind of shape things about how you want them to be to a certain extent. And so that kind of, I think that uh, kind of inspired me where like uh, he does a lot where he's like creating like uh, custom spreadsheets and doing things like that, which I'm really into. And I do a lot of that. So it's just like, okay, great. You know, like I see how he started his own thing and it was really great. I have a lot of the same opinions and ideals. So, you know, I think that I have a pretty good chance as well. And um, uh, another uh, gentleman named Jonathan Keekbush, he's based out of the UK uh, before, actually after I had um, jumped off on my own, but fairly early on, uh, we met in person for the first time um, in uh, Chicago for an event. And I just uh, relied on him quite a bit, just asking a lot of questions that I was uncertain for. And he is a, a patient to say the least, as I'm sure for like a week, I bothered him nonstop. I mean, I just like would not leave his side asking questions. And uh, he's telling me quite a bit. We're pretty good friends nowadays, uh, probably because of, because of that uh, initial thing. But um, so like he he also keeps me uh, pretty level headed uh, when basically if I have like a, a crap day or like a crap situation, I'm like, what do I do here? And he'll be like, calm down. Here's what you need to do. Think about it this way. I'm like, oh, you know, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> For sure, bro. For sure, man. So, can you? Uh, I I guess it's been like a what three year business journey for you? Yeah, roughly. Okay, so in your three years in business, man, can you think of a, a critical moment that you had, like a fight or flight kind of moment? I can think of a few. So, uh, yeah, let me give you a few ones quickly. If we want to dive deeper into some of them, uh, then we can do that for sure. Uh, so couple of them as one i had this uh i shouldn't say had you know sometimes i still do but this uh it within it's become very popular within the past you know 10 15 years where uh, you're kind of almost put like a, it's considered like a higher stature to be like an entrepreneur and there's so many people like uh, here's how to start your own business and like hype 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 and hustle 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 you know like uh, there's plenty of people acting the part that don't actually have the part and so what happened was as I started off um, I was doing uh, you know I was in revenue a little under 10 grand a month which in reality isn't a ton when you consider all the taxes and expenses that you'll have but i was like hey i've hit it big let me get my own office space so i got this nice big office space took on all this extra expense that i didn't need to and i was like okay great i you know i've made it big time i have my own office space and then i about a week after signing that three-year lease i lost two pretty sizable clients and i was like crap you know now i'm barely just floating above water um and that was that was a kind of a big 
big realization to me because I was like, hey, you know, it's official. Like I have like, uh, you know, uh, right downtown, my name is on this like uh, kind of thing. This historic building this is pretty cool like people that i know we're gonna walk by them and be like wait a second like i know that guy uh yeah and so it was a really big um kind of ego moment for me but it really screwed me because through that three-year lease it was um i think it was just under like sixty thousand dollars between rent and all the expenses with that that over that three years i could have used roughly about 20 grand a year for a bunch of other things i mean that's basically a salary right there that i could have paid somebody or marketing expenses i could have used uh, that i could have used so that was uh, a really big one. Uh, another one is as uh, kind of money started coming in is I kind of flipped where I was very frugal with what I was spending to kind of overly spending where I was spending a uh, stupid amount of money on stuff that I simply didn't need to where I'd be like okay great well if I'm going uh, here I'm going to get like the best hotel room that I can get here I'm going to buy the best you know plane ticket that I can get to be here uh, you know sometimes you can justify certain expenses like for example I tend to go to Asia every year that's about a 20 hour flight I do that business because if, when you're sitting in a uh, seat that you have three inches of leg room for 20 hours that actually becomes a health risk uh, basically for various reasons. And I can't really get worked in a, for a 20 hour period where, you know, paying for a business class flight in that sense makes sense, but paying for a flight that's four times that amount than the minimum that I need to pay does not make sense. So that's where I started to get a little bit stupid, where it went from here are practical expenses where it makes sense to here's money I have. So here's money I shall spend. So that was a pretty big issue um, where, uh, you know, there had been a certain times where it was like, okay, great. I have all this money today. I'll spend all this money today. And then tomorrow, well, we just lost a client now. What are we going to do? So that was, uh, that was another big example. Well, then the, the final one I'll say is uh, something that I learned uh, over time was to, um, how do I phrase this? Uh, within specifically you know, our space, basically our our processes, someone will contact us, we'll talk to them through, you know, if we think it's a good fit, and then we'll propose a, pri a price that we think, you know, we're gonna charge them to do the work that we need to do. Uh, a big issue that I had was being very um, afraid on the sales side is that I would really underquote. And so because of that, the amount of work I had to do versus what I was getting paid for that uh, was way out of proportion because I was almost scared like, hey, I had this person coming to me. Well, if I don't close them, when am I going to get that next person? Right. And so that's something that I just kind of learned the hard way where it was like, okay, let me add you know, an extra zero here. Let me double the price. Let me do whatever it may be. And uh, I'm going to get a lot more no's, but I'm going to figure out why I got those no's. And I'm going to take the pain from getting all those notes. And I'm going to figure out how to get a, you know, a yes from that. So that was something that I had to work through as well, going from like, hey, I'm going to charge this guy like 300 bucks a month to I'm going to charge this guy $3,000 a month. For sure. So, man, you sound like a very, very data-driven, analytic-driven person, man. And I just want to know, what's the average day for you? Like, how, how do you spend your days mm -hmm. to make sure that you stay as productive as possible yeah so um productivity is something that i struggle with quite a bit uh, mainly because i have i have adhd and i don't medicate which means that i become very easily distracted and sometimes i won't be able to focus sometimes i'll wake up at like uh, I mean, nowadays I'm getting up around six, but uh, typically if I wake up like, I might wake up at like nine, I might get distracted somewhere at 9.30, the entire day is shot and I just won't get anything done for the entire day. So sometimes that's just something that I have to deal with. Um, but uh, what helps me quite a bit is 
a couple things is one, uh, getting up early helps me quite a bit. I hate it. I'm a night owl. I can very easily stay up till four or five in the morning, no problem whatsoever. But I, nowadays I try to get up around six. The reason being is that the city's quiet outside. Nothing's happening outside. Nobody's emailing me. Nobody else is awake uh, besides the cat. Um, <laughs> and, and so I basically have, there's no obligation for me to answer any emails. There's no obligation for me to talk to anybody, even if they're on the team. I have uh, two to three hours to do any work that I want. So I try to get anything that has to be done that day done within those two to three hours because then all hell breaks loose, right? It's 9 a.m. and this person needs me on a call now. And that's an hour long call that then I get distracted for 30 minutes after that call to figure something out and coordinate something. And then uh, then that has me stressed out. So I need to take a breather for another like 20 minutes and you know now it's noon. Um, so having those couple hours of where nothing is happening really works for me. And I learned that uh, after the first time I went to England because there's a five hour time difference from the East Coast. And when it was two, 3 p.m. there, like my day is like done pretty much. And it's only like eight, 9 a.m. on the East Coast. And I was like, wow, I actually got stuff done. So because just how I am, like, uh, you know, people problems tend to really just like uh, kind of get to me. Um, so having those couple hours really does uh, quite a bit for me as well as I have um, a calendar. So I have a dual screen set up on this screen on my right has just time blocks where it's just, okay, great. So like a typical, like a... Uh, let me just look at, you know, taste Thursday. Let me just look at what a typical Thursday. So it's like 6.30 to uh, 10.30. I'll do any sort of client that needs to be done. So Thursdays are a heavy client work day for me. So if I need to look at something, coordinate something with the team, you know, 6.30 to 10.30, I'm doing that. 10.30 to 11.30, I'm working on emails. I'm talking back with leads, checking Skype, social media, so on and so forth. Then it's another block of client work, which typically intertwines with meetings and stuff by that time of day. Uh, you know, here's some more email time. Here's some time to decompress. Here's like an hour and a half where I can do whatever I want and then finish out the day with like the final check of the emails before like a log off. So just having those time blocks really helps me because then what I do is I basically force myself where if I don't get it done within that time block, even if it's something that needs to get done today, I don't do it. And then because I feel the punishment of that, like it just forces me where it's like, oh crap, I need to get, it's going to take me 45 minutes to get this done. I have 30 minutes until, you know, this time block is over. I need to find a way to, you know, do this within 30 minutes. And then because you face that pressure, you get it done. Um, there's this great post. I can't remember who wrote it, but if you look up, um, procrastination monkey you should be able to find a um, like a two three series blog post in which um, uh, this author I can't remember his name he goes through and talks about like the process of procrastination how it's funny where you know if you have something that's gonna that should take you six months uh, you know you do it when you have 72 hours left and you still figure out a way to do it within 72 hours so it's one of those things where you force yourself with a very limited time that you'll actually get it done and because you know I'm very um, uh, uh, game oriented, I uh, gamify things. I enjoy gaming as well. Is that when I know that, oh, you know, like I have, you know, 30 minutes to like do this objective, I figure out a way to do it when I force myself to have those time constraints. Where if I have a more lax schedule, where it's just here's what I need to get done today with no time constraints with it, it won't get done. For sure. For sure. So, what does the future of Blue Dog Media look like? Yeah. So, within the next, uh, 30, 45 days or so, we will have officially rebranded to Comet Fuel, which is kind of the next step for us, which is now um, kind of going from uh, building a company day by day 
to more so looking at uh, the future, which is that we've started working with um, larger and larger accounts over time. We've kind of dis- we've kind of played around with, you know, do we want to help? Like, you know, here's the person that just started their business; they're just starting off. Do we want to help them? Do we want to work with the person that, uh, you know, what budgets do we want to work with? What kind of team do we have? And um, for the amount of time that we spend uh, doing research and building our own technology in house and everything that we're doing, we want to work with, um, you know, more sizable accounts that you know we have, uh, you know. You know, quite a sizable impact within those accounts as well. And so, you know, we're kind of shifting to, okay, what do we need to do to attract these sorts of accounts and kind of uh, look at the accounts that we have that fall under that category and increase that where we were uh, exclusively service-based businesses prior. Now we're also working with e-learning, e-commerce, and SaaS companies as well uh, with those service-based businesses as we kind of expand within that. Um, and you know, just basically going from taking things day by day to actually looking at, okay, great, here's what we actually want to do over the course of the next three months based on where we want to be at the end of the year. And here's what actually needs to be done to do that. So essentially uh, taking business levels more uh, seriously, if you will. For sure, man. Hey, Jared, thank you so much. Bro. I, within this hour we've been talking, man, I've learned so much, man. <laughs> I've learned so much, bro. Look, after this interview, I'm going to definitely have to get at you for sure, bro. But look, man, before we end every uh, podcast, we like to play a rapid fire question game. Three questions. Um, if that's something you're up for, I'll jump right into it. Let's do it. Yeah. Question number one, where's your favorite place to travel? Uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand. Why is that? Uh, so it's a very large um, expat city, uh, meaning it's very westernized to the point where there where you don't need to speak Thai to be there. It's very easy where anywhere in the world you can kind of go to. There's a it's a because it's a big expat city. I can walk around and you know on a casual Wednesday see somebody walk by the restaurant that I actually know because there's so many people in my industry that are there. And every year, and not so much this year because of COVID, but every year there is a a very large conference that happens there where basically everyone in the industry that uh, that I kind of know and hang out with kind of all accumulates in that one location. So it, it uh, one day it turns out to a massive like party essentially for like a couple of weeks, but it's just a kind of a great experience and uh, it's not overly expensive there. It, things are pretty cheap there. For sure, bro. So what song explains your life the most? Uh, that's, uh, I don't know. To be honest, I've uh, never really thought about that. For sure. Look, last question, bro. What's an amazing thing that you did that no one was around to see? Hmm. That's uh, it's difficult because I don't honestly leave the house much. I stay in a lot. But um, what I do quite a bit is um, not so much lately, but I tend to... Um, be as supportive as possible for people who have uh, just started when I have the time because when I just started I wanted somebody to kind of hold my hand if you will in certain aspects um, so there are certain forms that I'll hang out on uh, when I can that I don't have like, my name on or anything just because I don't necessarily want people looking at me too much just because it brings like, if you say something online someone's going to dm you like complaining and i just don't want to deal with that um so sometimes i'll spend you know 20 30 minutes if i have the free time to like respond to someone that has like a you know a fairly you know in my view something that might be a little bit more basic to me but might be something that's like uh kind of like really stumped them if you will for sure jerry where can people find you on social media 
Yeah. So on Twitter, it's Jared Spiewak, just first and last name. On Instagram, it's Jared.Spiewak. I have two of them. The one without the dot is an account that I just can't access for whatever reason anymore. And on LinkedIn, it's Jared Spiewak as well. Jared, thank you so much, man. Hey, I enjoyed this conversation. Have a great one. Yeah, you too.